0: Good morning ladies and welcome. With the backdrop of the rain from this week and last week we are welcoming you to Parshas Noah. Um, there are loads of things to stand this week's Parsha and I hope to share with you some great ideas that are going to be life-changing of course, otherwise we wouldn't say them. And we are going to take up three main topics in this week's Parsha. one, Noah's persona. Two, we're going to speak about the generation of the flood and why they got what they got. And third thing that's the main topic in this week's Parsha is the generation of the Tower of Bavel. They're called Dor Flaga, the generation that separated themselves, so to speak, from Hashem. And we'll get into all that and what they did wrong and why really Avram had to go against them in order to become who he became. All right. And we've got four questions, as usual, because, you know, we always have to think about Pesach, even during the year. And here we go. Let's first start question number one by giving a little bit of a hakdam, a little bit of an introduction. It says, Whoever is involved, engaged in, somehow in Torah, in the written Torah, or B'mishnah, in the oral law, somehow. Now, for women, you could be a, a, assisting somebody in in this pursuit, or you yourself could be studying whatever halachas or relevant things you have to learn. And if you're engaging in working on your character, this person will not be quick to sin. But lobamishnah, But whoever does not engage in the written law, the oral law, or in any type of character improvement, not only is he won't he won't come to sin, but he doesn't belong in civilization. That's the Gevarn Kedushin. Now, the question is asked, why is it that they had a flood, and this is before the giving of the Torah, like, you know, what are people supposed to know already that they should come to such gross sin? And the answer is, this is Rabach from Detroit, he says that really there's a gross sin in going against uh, going against something you believe in is true. If you know that you are supposed to be, your main purpose in life is supposed to be, you know, serving the community in some sort or serving Hashem in some sort or doing something other than self-service, then, um, you know, you realize that you have a purpose in life. This, you don't have to have a Torah for that. You have to know in general. Person has to infer I must have some reason I'm here. And if I have a reason that I'm here, then if I go against my reasoning, like going against my reasoning of what I'm supposed to be doing in the world, then I'm 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 morally sinning. Even if there was no only six, you know, seven no commandments to go against everything that makes sense. And in this case, stealing or whatever else, their other immorality and all this kind of stuff that was they were engaging in, this person is going against things that make sense to him as far as being moral. He's already, without giving of the Torah, he's going against his own mind, and just from reason. And um, so therefore the world didn't have a reason for existence. It didn't because they didn't go according to their, they didn't see there was a purpose of creation. They went against their purpose. They just, did whatever they felt like doing, even though they knew in their hearts that what they were doing was wrong. And Hashem had to totally switch the whole order of the world. Noach Matzachin Beine Hashem. Now, what does it mean, Noach Matzachin Beine Hashem, that Noach found favor in the eyes of Hashem? It means that that Hashem wanted to start now from Noach. Now, Noah, it's interesting. Several things happened with Noah that did not happen before. Number one, we find Adam was created to be fruitful and multiply. We see that restated in, Parsh- in Parshish Noach. Noach was told, again, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, after the, the flood, after the Mabel, Noach was rebuilding the world. We don't call ourselves anymore B'nai Adam, even though we should be a Ben Adam, that's a mensch. We call ourselves B'nai Noach. Because Noah is who, we, you know, he's like the new father of creation. And, and um, we're also Hashem blessed Adam, and he also blessed Noah. And, um, you know, so that we find from this that Noah started a new period in creation that did not exist before. He had to wipe out the whole world. And then finally, the only thing left was Noah. Now, the new world order. So now, when Hashem is going to destroy the world, he says something. He says, Kate's called basar Balafanai." I see the end of all flesh is coming for me because of them, you know, and I'm going to have to destroy the whole world. Ravax brings down, like, a fascinating medrash. Now, uh, where is it? Okay. And um, where is this? Okay, so this is Amr Chazal. So we're finding this, Voracious Rabbah. Chazal says, what is Mipnei I'm going to bring the flood upon the world. It says, Mipnei HaGazlin, I bring the flood upon the world for two reasons. One, because of those that committed acts of theft. You know, the theft they said in those days was less than a penny's worth. You know, imagine you go to No Frills and you're tasting the cherries in the store. Now, to some degree, the shopkeeper assumes people may want to sample something to see if they should buy it. But when people start purposely, you know, sampling from things more than what the shopkeeper would, would mean, and sometimes shopkeepers don't want you to sample, you know, and especially by Ben Noach, you're high of even less than a pruta, or by Yid, you're high of more than a pruta because Yid and they're usually forgiving of each other. But in any case, People were taking advantage, and you know, a uh, little bit of this, a little bit of that. So the guys would find they had nothing left in their stall, and then in their in their shop. We find also that there was an idea of Hamas, of also the you know immorality. A lot of people say our generation is very sim- simpler, simple, similar rather to dor in the fact that people just feel that they can, you know, that they don't have to marry who's normally would be designated for them. They can just explore other things that are not normal and not moral. So the the goslin is the person that just decides that he wants things his way. And he goes against an order of creation. Really, this person is supposed to have this amount of money, not supposed to have this amount. And he decides, no, what's yours is mine. I, I want to have it. Or same thing with immorality. He decides that God sets certain rules to morality, which every major religion is aware of. And people decide, no, I want to do it my way. You know, I, I don't like the way I was created. I want to change my gender. I want to change my this, that, and the other. I want to be an it. <laughs> Whatever it is, that's a goslin under the, the term of goslin under Hamas. And the question is, though, the um, we find that, you know, they were guilty of theft. But he ends off, the matter ends off with something very astounding. Not only was the chayt, uh, you know, Dor because of gezel because of theft. It was also umipne hanigzal, and because of the person who was stolen from, because of the person who, um, you know, who who, was, uh, who 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 experienced this theft, he is also at fault for bringing the mabel to the world. Now, that's really shocking. Usually, you'd think. That the reason why there was the, you know, we all know the reason why there was the marble was the theft and then and the immorality. But for a person that was stolen from, that's the purpose, for, you know, that's the purpose of the marble. Because you were the victim. Being a victim makes you, the causes the whole marble. What does that mean? Uh, and also says in, um, okay, Okay. And in comment, there's a question asked. It goes as far and it says, "Me gadol go The question is asked: Who's bigger, a thief or the victim? Why do you even ask a question? It's an obvious question. Okay, now so that's question number one. What do you mean the nigzal? The person that's the victim. That's the reason the whole the whole occurred is because somebody was a victim. What do you have to understand that? Okay, number two. On one hand, we find that Noah was a very great human being. Everybody else was succumbing. He withstood these temptations, and he, um, you know, he he changed the whole world order. He's a special person. 120 years, Noah was warning everybody that there's going to be a flood, telling everybody, not to sin. And he remained holy. In fact, by the way, there is a... Um, documentary that I once happened to look at years ago when we'd be Pesach cleaning, I used to borrow from the public library, film projectors, <laughs> that takes me. and uh, we used to, sh- I, I took a film once and it said, in search of Noah's Ark, it was a documentary. So it was actually a, um, you know, a uh, ge- geographic expo- you know, exploration. And it was also, um, you know, they did it through meteorological studies but it turned out it was not from our religion. At the very end, I was disappointed to find that out. But in any case, the point was that that Noah's Ark, that there is a place called Mount Ararat in Turkey, exactly as described by the thing. Um, there were expeditions that came down with gopher wood. I heard today they don't know exactly where it's located. I mean, the exact location of them. But at one point, people did see. They saw, say they saw a structure. There were people that were up there in you know 1938 that brought down gopherwood and they said they saw this the the frame of this huge structure that was uh, consistent with that recorded in the Torah of the uh, of the Mabel, uh, you know of the ark of the the, the Teva and um, so now they have uh, they have um, you know they, they don't know exactly the exact location they are people and there's a lot of um, How do you say, there's uh, um, landslides and things like that. This is like right near Tibet, this Mount Ararat. And it's impossible. A structure should be up there. And there's avalanches and all kinds of things that are going on. But there was something way up there, which does prove to the fact there could be a mobile. Also, they had all this meteorological proof. But in any case, so the... um, so although Noah withstood all their things and for 120 years building an ark t- and admonishing everybody and telling themselves there's a flood coming, we still see Rashi censures Noah and says that Noah does not enter the Teva until Mipnei Mehamabul. The only time he enters the Teva is when the flood is coming already. First, you know, it rained for about a week really heavily and Hashem kept telling him the flood is coming, the flood is coming. And then finally it says because of the flood Noah entered the Teva. Rashi says something that sounds really sharp. Af <laughs> Noah Noah was weak in his faith. Hayamam below He believed and yet he didn't believe. Below la Teva He didn't he, he you know he believed and yet he didn't believe and he did not go into the Teva until the ark until you know the water so to speak pushed him in. Uh, What is so terrible about that, 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 you know, that Rashi censures Noah like that, that he keep, he he was, you know, pushed into the Teva. And until that time, he never entered the, he never entered the Teva. What is so bad, you know? Like, um, so why is that lacking in faith that he waits so long to enter the Teva? That's question number two about Noah's persona. What does it mean he was a believer and yet not a believer? Number three. At the end of this whole devastation, Noah brings up korbanas Hashem. He brings up sacrifices Hashem. And he sees the devastation and he cries. Hashem said, says to the Zohar, You cried now. Where were you before? Why didn't you cry out then? Why didn't you cry out to me previously? Why are you only crying now? In other words, that Noah was guilty of not crying out. Now, what does it mean? Why, what do you mean he didn't cry out? Like he did everything Hashem said. He built the teva. He admonished people. What does it mean? And why didn't he? Did he not cry out? Last question we have is about the generation of the Tower of Bavel, the Dor Flaga. Rav Shampinka Shem says they were like communists. By the way, that um, this is the beginning of communism. Was they all united? Everybody united, but their purpose in uniting was. They had a common ground. In fact, there was never such unity. That's why Shem did not get rid of them, totally like by the marble, because there was a unification of people. They decided, look, let's pool our resources. There's doctors in other countries that know more than doctors in this country. There's scientists. Why should we be against each other when we could be using human knowledge for a purpose, all this, you know, world knowledge? So they figured out like this that there was perhaps a flood. Good morning, Mrs. Grossman. There was a flood every 1,356 years because that's on the calendar when the first flood occurred. And so they said, look, we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect ourselves lest there be another flood. So they said, let's build this huge tower just like the Teva and we'll be protected. And um, now interesting thing also, they were the first people that, the Torah mentions, Havanil Let us fashion bricks. We never find before this period. I, I, I did not. I did not know. One second, please. I have to. Set, I have to help Mrs. Gross in one minute, please. Uh, I can I, I, I made a minefield here for her to come to my house, and I thought she was going to be on the computer. I'm sorry. Chair. I did not know you were coming. I knew I wouldn't have had the garbage block your path. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, uh, now it talks about making bricks, okay? The, uh, t- that they, they made bricks, and it, you know, that was very interesting the first time I mentioned in the Torah that there was bricks. Now, Hashem didn't like what they were doing. He spread them apart before everyone spoke the same language, and now there's 70 different languages existing in the world, and they were dispersed also. They didn't understand each other anymore. The Torah, by the way, Shem Shem Pink, as itself tells us, the Torah doesn't mention they did any sin per se, and it doesn't mention a punishment, except all of a sudden it says there were people that spoke one language, and then they were, Hashem made 70 languages. It doesn't even mention it as a punishment. You know, and, and it says Atama Risham, there's many midrashim that tell us that Adama Rishon stayed clear of the Dor HaFlaga, of the, the, the generation of the, uh, the tower. And, you know, and so we want to understand a little bit about them. What did they do, in fact, wrong? I'll d- discuss the communism thing also a little bit later. But um, what did they do wrong? So those are our four questions. We'll repeat them right now. We've got number one. We're talking about that, um, what do you mean the victim of the, of the Mabel is as guilty as the thief? And number two, and what did, what did the victim do wrong? Number two, why did Noah not go into the Teva until the water pushed him? And how is that a lack of faith? Number three, when he brought Karbanas, Hashem said, you cried that c- civilization is destroyed. Where were you before? And number four, let's understand more about uh, what was the sin of the generation of building the tower, the Migdal Bavel, with our good friend Nimrod. And whenever find modern Israelis naming their kid Nimrod, um, <laughs> it's a little bit of a, uh, a shock. Okay, now. Let's first go into explore the idea of what made Noach unique. Because Noach matzachen be'enei Hashem. and Pinkus tells us that are we all are, everything's okay. Okay. That um that that um Noach just like Avram Avinu in his own way was a self-made man. That's what how he differed from Adam Harishon. The first man was perfect. Absolutely perfect. He was close to God as there could be. The angels almost said, Kadash, Kadash to Adam Arisham. And he had one opportunity and he ruined it. Conversely, Noah and Adam and Av- uh, Avram Avinu were both surrounded by all kinds of wickedness. They were not necessarily perfect the way they started, but they are the symbol of humankind. Uh, to, I'm not saying mankind, I'm saying humankind because I'm a Canadian. And um, the, yeah, uh, too <laughs> early in the morning. Was, oh, Mrs. Grossman got it. All right, somebody got it. Anyway, so the, um, uh, so um, the Noah was speaking the fact that he worked on, he he was a self-made man, just like <laughs> from of a Now, what Rapam tells us, wait a second, I'm just trying. I see this thing is slipping again. not centered. Is there somebody that's very upset when I'm not centered? Okay. Okay. Now, the Rapam tells us, he brings down from Sefer Erechapayim, you know, that's the Sefer from Rabbi Yellen that we quoted many moons ago, talking about how a person should work on their anger. The Sefer Ha'Chapayim, it got us from Rabbi Shil Tawantah, by the way. The Sefer Ha'Chapayim brings down from the Sefer Haredim, I mean, the Sefer Haredim brings down from Sefer was a Rishon, um, that whoever doesn't come to anger is Mosech Tain bein Hashem. The reason why Noah found favor in the eyes of Hashem You He didn't have a temper. Because Hashem loves, the Gemara Pesachim says that Hashem loves three people. One, someone who doesn't get drunk, so I guess that takes me out of the picture. <laughs> no, I, I maybe have like this much wine. For a um, someone who controls their anger and someone who controls their mitos. Those are the three kinds of people that Hashem loves. I guess Hashem loves most women because women never get drunk. Okay, anyways, at least from women never get drunk that I know of. Any case, um, now the morale says, when it says, You don't get um, the maral says you know we see in the mishnah pirkei we're told that there's different midos, noach for noach a person let's say easy to anger easy to appease the expression used by the mishnah says the maral noach gets angry easy to easy to anger easy to appease the reason that term is used is to teach us that really a person can never say, I'll never get angry. There is no such person that ever existed that didn't get angry. Everyone, including Moshe Rabbeinu, albeit for a good reason. But most people have a reason for for being angry sometimes, uh, if they're really Tzadikim. But it's impossible, says the Maral, for a person never to be angry. But the question is, how easy is it for a person to get angry? But in any case, the Maral says to control it is really... You know, and, of course, we're always given the tools. If a person has a temper, they're given tools to be able to stop themselves more than people that don't have that temper because they, they, you know, we're always given a balance, we're always given free will, that we can always make choices in our life. Now, the, when we talk about Noah, that he was slow to anger, you know, he was at Sadiq Tumim. Rashi says he was humble. Now, I'm not getting angry is a sign of humility because usually anger is, I want it my way or the highway. You have to do it my way. If you don't do it my way, then I can't stand it or I can't stand things when they're like this. We want control. Anger is a sign of wanting control, of wanting to be in control, of wanting things to go the way we want. You know, that's why it's very connected always with a lack of humility, of arrogance. It's all about me, but it says in the Medrash, Noach 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 appeased both he was tranquil. Noach means being tranquil. He both, both. he appeased those the heavenly realms, and he also appeased human, fellow humans. Noach le'shamayim, and Noach le'brios. It's also echoing that same idea. He he was tranquil. He was easygoing. For the people, for all the people, there's a pleasantness, the emus, his wife, you know, his name, the, um, you know, same thing, same concept. The, the litmus test of how you are with Hashem is how you treat people, because emuna is similar to the word being neman, being loyal, being faithful. And loyal to somebody is not rebelling against them and and you know getting upset with every little thing they do. That that's that says you're being easygoing, and that's why Noah found favor in the eyes of Hashem. However. However, and here comes the big however. Noah was censured that he didn't daven for his generation afterwards. When Mordechai Atsaddik Lahavdel heard that there was a big decree against the Jewish people, he assembled a mass chuva movement. He, uh, he, everybody had to wear sack for a Everybody had to wear sackcloth and ashes. Why? What? You know? And, and by Noah. He censured people, he told people, he built the ark, he was consistent, he had, his ways were pure, but what he did wrong was that he didn't think of the rest of the generation enough. Well, he, it's not that he didn't think of them, he censured them every day, but he was taken to task for not davening for them. Now, people such as Rav Nassim Vachvogel, the Meshkir from Lakewood, Zetzal, tells us that he thought he was unworthy. You know, who am I to daven for my generation? That's from, that's from uh, Nassim's interpretation. And that's why it's called, by the way, we sing Yona Matzah boma Noach. The Yonah found its its fine, its tranquility, it's, its place to rest, that it's called al May Noach. The waters of Noach. Noach is, from now on, censured, the flood is blamed, so to speak, the, the, the Mabul of Noach, is because he did not, cens- he did not daven enough for his generation. He should have prayed for them more. Now, to this. this is what a Shemshon Pinkus does to defend Noah. He says, "Not okay. Reb well, said he because he was a tzaddik tumin. It wasn't like to be a tzaddik tumin, you have to have regard for other people. Come on, a tzaddik is Noah Noah He cares about the world. What does it mean that Noah was he didn't daven enough for his generation? What it means is that Noah." was a type of person, he was so pleasant and easygoing. You know, every midah, we say certain midahs are better. Look, it's, most people say it's better to marry somebody easygoing. It's better in the long run, you know, it's a little bit easier. However, sometimes the complacency can take place when somebody's easygoing. His, they said his fault was, Noah believed so so much in Hashem's chesed that he said, he's telling me about the mabul. But I don't really have to daven for it so much because he's not going to follow through with it. I'm going to warn everybody. People are going to do even a mini tshuva, and Hashem is, it's never going to happen. Won't happen. Can't happen. You know? And he was a little too complacent. He didn't pray with more fervor because the thing wrong with that is that he felt he knows Hashem. Now we all know Hashem. We know Hashem is killed and we're screaming it out by ne'ilah. We know Hashem is all forgiving, all kind, all good. However, do we know what could be the next minute? Do we know if we really prayed enough? We never know. We know that Hashem will forgive us even with our craziness, even with our lackings, even with our failings. We know Hashem is is gonna is gonna be thinking of us. But you know, but on the other hand, we have we have to be afraid. There's got to be like a A middle ground. You have to be somewhat fearful. That's the expression used in Talim. You're supposed to be on somewhat, you know, secure. That's why on Rosh Hashanah, we we dress up in Shabbos clothes and we eat meals because we know Hashem is the fair judge. But we're supposed to pour out our hearts in prayer and tears because we know, we don't know what's expected of us. We don't know the stakes that we're supposed to reach. We don't know where we're supposed to go. I once had, a, years ago, I had a friend of mine, I don't remember what it was that I, I was down on myself for something and I was afraid that, I, you know, I'd get punished for it. I forgot what, what even what the discussion was about. And this friend said something that made a, made a Rosh it made an impression on me for the rest of my life. She told me, how do you know what Hashem is thinking? And that's, you know, I saw, I saw something online yesterday. I don't know, I don't know if it's true or not, but if it is, it really is astounding. And if it's not, it could have happened somewhere in the world, so we have to think about it. Somebody showed a picture, a quick picture of, Hakafe, of um, the Hoshana hakafas on Hoshana Rabbah last year, a year ago, with the told us Aaron in Yerushalayim. You know, the famous Rebbe, the told Aaron, Hasidim. They said last year, Tafshin Pei, the Rebbe broke down sobbing, bawling like never before. And he's screaming out Hoshana like never before. Could the Rebbe have known what Shin Pei was supposed to be like? Could the Rebbe have known? You know, sometimes when we, and when we prayed last year, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, what are we praying for? Hashem, forgive us. Could we have imagined what would happen today? When we davened last year, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we have no idea Hashem's bag of tricks, the good or the bad. You know, that's where we always have to be like kind of, by brisk, they always said, Bitachon does not mean to always be like, oh, wonderful, everything's fine. Hashem's here, he's holding my hand. Bitachon means you have something to be afraid of. The briskarov said you should first know if person has to go to the doctor, there should be fear. There should be if a person, God forbid, lo elenu. person has to face whatever it is. There should be fear, but then you have Hashem holding your hand through the fear, and you remind yourself. If you're not afraid of anything, then uh, how do you know? You, you're so sure that everything, is, you do know one thing's constant, that Hashem is with you. That we do know. But what Hashem's going to do, and the reason why there are frightening things that happen in the world, is in order to arouse us, to remind us that, that this isn't the real world. We have to do tshuva. There are expectations of ourselves. They say this world is a world of chesed, and the next world, the world of din, whatever that means, that's frightening. And we're not always on the madriga to really hear these kind of tough words. But um, but one thing we can take out of it is that there is, we have to have to give a din v'chashben. There are things we have to realize that can be frightful things. And Hashem wanted it that way to keep us under check. The Rav even says that when Mashiach will come, it says, Hashem. The world's going to be filled with knowledge of Hashem. He said, even though, we are going to be more certain of Hashem, you know, Hashem's existence, and that there's just only one God, and the whole world will be full of, of, of emuna. He said, "There's still going to be an idea of emuna in the time of Mashiach. There's still going to be time, an idea of emuna because we, uh, because we don't understand everything He does. We don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> if it did, then we'd be Hashem, you know. We don't understand it. We don't understand pain. We don't understand torture. We don't understand." All these horrific things that happen to people, and so for some reason he just felt wasn't that he didn't. Care. He was a tzaddik tammid. I mean, the whole world bnei noach is today. You know, we but obvious. But he felt uh, yeah, Tov, Things are going to be good, but things are not always so good. And we don't know what's going to be. And we and we we have to um, we have to keep the connection with Hashem and realize that that at any moment. Um, you know, a person, we can create or destroy our whole world. Reimpshin Pinkus says there's a a person let's see he, he gives an example of a person being you know basically a good Jew, you know he learns every day and he davens every day and he does all his obligations, even more than his he's in colo for twenty years, and he's learning and, and doing all the things that you know are really tremendous. You can't go a day, says Urshihin Pinkus feeling, I'm okay. You know, now the, the B'techanat line would say the opposite, but this, this should, should think us today. So the line would say always we always need to pump ourselves up and tell ourselves we're good or we're going we're gonna to fall if we feel like we just, just strive for mediocrity. But on the other hand, we have to say at any per, time a person can lose all his Torah Mitzvahs. There are people that at the end of their days just lost everything. We always have to know there's always, you know, we shouldn't get too um, comfortable and we shouldn't do, get too fearful. That's the you know, and you have to combat whatever is bothering you. If a person is too complacent, they have to tell themselves, Who knows it's gonna to be tomorrow? First go spiritually for myself and physically for myself, who knows? And if a person gets too fearful, he has to tell himself, I'm good, Hashem loves me, I can do wonderful things. So that's the balance we always have to strike. And we need to hear both things and we have to know we can't stop working. It says, um, It says in Mishle, the, the Vilna Gaon has a parish, it says, mata." It says um, a person has to know that the, the, the path to be good and just in this world is to go upwards in order that he doesn't go downwards. There's no middle road. Either, either you have to be trying at all times. You know, we can't let go. We can't let go. We can't be, we can't, you know, let go of our resolve. We have to constantly be working on ourselves because we can't assume everything will be good, even if I don't, you know, we can't go on cruise control and just think, you know, the car will go. Or now we're going to have cars that are going to go without even driving. So, um, you know, but that's not a muscle to our lives. That's the muscle to Olam Hazeh. Olam Hazeh keeps going. A human being is supposed to surpass that. We are the GPS. We have to be the, the great programming system, and we have to keep motivating ourselves Otherwise, God forbid, we could fall. So that's what he didn't do right. Either some people can go as far as to say he didn't think enough about others. Like his chesed was, was definitely not as great as Ravinus. Uh, and we said, Rav and Bach said he didn't think I'm, who am I to daven for the generation? But it doesn't matter who you are. You got to daven for the generation. And here we're saying that he was just a little too complacent thinking and believing in Hashem's chesed and not realizing that at any minute we need Hashem every second and if we if we turn away, it's, we're not going to get anywhere. Now, in a way, there's an opposite lesson to be learned from the Dorha Flaga. Now, I heard said, I didn't finish yet this book. There's this new book that came out that it's supposedly a must-read for everybody, The End of the Exile, I believe it's called, uh, from Rabbi Serutskin. Uh Kate Smagula is called in Hebrew, all about Rav Rev um el Yaber says that everybody should read this book. Uh, it all talks about the end of days and... Um, and according to the current events of today, how it applies, the end of days. So I'm not really totally, I'm, I, I'm kind of like a quarter through the book right now, so I don't know, I can't tell you too much. But one thing I heard from others is that they state our generation is the test of Dora Mabel and Dora Flagga. You know, we have on one hand such immorality like never before. And there is a lot of, and not just in the, you know, in sneeze in, in matters, but there's a lot of immorality in people stealing from each other, and, and, and the gross injustices in the world. We also find that the Duraflaga, which is, uh, you know, I don't know if you ever heard that there, there was this famous statement made by Governor Cuomo that the reason why in New York, the pandemic ended was not because of God, because of what we did. You know, it it just shows like this is this kind of generation that, you know, that produces such people that they can make such statements. Now, unity is very powerful, very powerful. Uh, They had to be, if they wouldn't have been dispersed, they would have never, you know, done anything. um, Unity really can save a whole generation because unity is a way to get yourself close to Hashem when you're unified. You know, um, I was reading with Mrs. Grossman this Shabbos, Rev. Victor Miller, Zacharno says, a phenomenal thought. It says that a man should cling to his wife, you know, the P- precious, gracious. man should cling to his wife and they'll be like one flesh. He should leave his parents and cling to his wife. As a mitzvah of the Torah, to cling to his wife. What does that mean? It means, as Rav Victor Miller, an idea of loyalty, that a person in marriage, he says, if, if, you have to be the most loyal to your wife. Like, no matter what she does, you have to be your biggest cheerleader, and vice versa, he says to women, too, that women have to, you know, no matter what their husband does, they shouldn't make a big deal of the negativity, and they have to realize, he says, that, you know, that nobody is going to be perfect. He said romance is a whole thing of, you know, the non-Jewish world, and there's nobody that's going to get along, especially men and women. They're from different planets. So they they have to, the only way they're going to survive is by basically – always just being positive with each other, with clinging, because that midah of clinging, where else do we hear tveikis? We hear tveikis by Hashem. Vakim by Hashem alo or vo sidbak. There's a commandment to cling to Hashem, just like cling to a spouse. So if a person can learn to be loyal and, and praising and always seeing the good in their spouse in front of others and always being their biggest defender, that's how, they can cling to Hashem. I could even take this a step further. It doesn't necessarily have. This is not a commandment per se, but well, we do find it. Maybe with a spouse, you have an extra amount of loyalty you're supposed to assume. But with friends and family and the human race, and especially the Jewish people, we have to be united. When we're united, this gives makes it much easier for us to have those proper. We set in place the traits we need to be loyal to Hashem. If we're loyal to other people and if we're there for other people and we're for, you know, we, we help other people, that way we can be loyal to Hashem. Now, the, they had to be dispersed. What did they do wrong? So the Ramban says about the Durha HaFlaga, the generation of the uh, tower, it says, um, They cut down what was planted. What, what does it mean? They, they began the whole idea of heresy which is what we said the governor of New York has echoed. Um, wise people that are aware of the creation. They were aware of the creation. They had a lot of wise people. And, and, and they heard about the flood. This was soon after. Now, the flood did not hit Eretz Yisrael. So there were some people, even perhaps survivors of the flood, amongst that generation. And they said, let's make bricks. What does bricks symbolize? Bricks symbolizes human effort. Baraks are something Hashem made. They were here from when the world was created, Hashem Shampinka says. He said, What's they, What did they do wrong? It wasn't like overt, you know, we hate God and we're going to fight with him, but rather it was an idea of many people like to feel that we can take care of ourselves, we want to feel settled. You know, people are planning already into who knows what age. A lot of people said, "Shimshim Pinkus shim, want to be zocha and the pious. They want to win the 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 lottery because they feel this way. You know, they're going to if they 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 win the lottery, they have some money on the side. They don't have to come on to other people. They don't have to need anybody. And and um, there's some good in that. You know, a lot of people don't ever want to come on to their children. That's very common. You know, we want to feel self-reliant, but the idea here is they want it to be organized themselves and feel settled, settle themselves first, and the problem with that is we're never settled. We need Hashem. We ha- I can't feel like we're going to have this thing that we can take care of all the elements and, and you know, it's and, and as, as, as an aside. It's not part of what the messages I want to give out today, but part of an aside here is that... Um, when we talk about the, uh, it was like communism, according to Simpson Shim Pincus, he said, they felt, the mentor says, if a baby would fall from the tower, everybody would say one less mouth to feed. But if a brick would fall, everybody would cry. Because, you know, this was the human effort that we all did together. And, you know, it's human, you know. And they ignore the individual. That's the idea of communism. It's for the sake of the community, not for the individual. We, of course, in Judaism have a combination of different theories. We believe that every individual is important, and yet the community is also important. It's not like a, we, we value one over the other. And probably capitalism is only for the individual. So, uh, you know, so, the, you know, we, we probably have a total different system of government if it would be just up to the Torah. In any case, so when they arrange themselves to as not to rely on Hashem, that's dangerous. We're supposed to be reliant. We're supposed to daven three times a day because we need breakfast, lunch, and supper. We need that inspiration. We need to rely on Hashem. He wants us to rely on him. It, it's one thing to not rely on your friends. In fact, it says it's an act of chesed. I forgot who it says this. It's an act of chesed not to take from other people. You know, it's, it, if you can, of course, sometimes you should. It's a mitzvah. If you make another person, going to feel like a million dollars taking from them. I want to start about a poor woman who had a few pennies, a few rubles. She ran, she, she knocked on the door, of she had some money for the yeshiva. And it was like a pathetic amount of money. Her bark bear says, he calls in his son-in-law, uh, you know, um, and he tells him, look, there's a double for the yeshiva. You can make a person feel like a million dollars taking from them. And sometimes we have to take, we're all takers and givers. You don't, but you don't want to set yourself up, like you know, like just come on. Where are all your people? I want all these donations now. But when we, but to Hashem, Yispaal Baderach Tachanunim Kirash Person should daven to Hashem with, with pleading, like a, like a person looking for a, a donation. You know, that's how we're supposed to daven. That's probably what Noah was lacking. It's, again, an idea of trying to, 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 we see two things already. One is that Noah did not, he felt he knew how Hashem was going to act, and he didn't know. And here we're learning another idea. The thing they did wrong at the time of the Haflagah was that um, we have to feel, like we have to need Hashem badly. We have to need Hashem. It's a common denominator run, running through this. We both need Hashem badly. And we can't say that he's going to be necessarily good or bad. We have to, we have to beg him. Who says it, we, it's coming to us? Who says it, we need it, you know? Um, Hashem wants the connection, and that's why sometimes things go wrong in our lives to make us want to renew that connection. I used to always say that the biggest connection between a mother and her teenage son is her wallet. If she would not give her grandson or son that goes to Yeshiva money, you probably wouldn't hear from him so often. And that's why I say it's not a good idea to give your children, here's a credit card for the next 12 months. You won't hear from them for 12 months. That's the problem. You should only give them how often you want the phone call, you know, because that's how often you're they're going to think of you. The same thing, that's just for teenage boys. They hopefully come back to roost after they get married to some degree, depending on their wives and how kind they are. But in any case, we're supposed to feel dependent. Hashem wants us to feel dependent. He wants us to feel, because that is in truth, we really aren't self-reliant. How many mm-hmm. of us, during davening, we start thinking about all the ways we want to plan out our day. It all of a sudden comes to us. This is what we're going to do. and that's going to, Or we mull over something that happens. We're not realizing at those moments that how, my, how dependent we are on Hashem. We need Hashem for now. We're not going to figure it all out. We think during davening, it, it suddenly comes to me, oh, maybe this, maybe that. All of a sudden, wait a minute. Who are we? T-? Well, right now we're davening to Hashem that he should help us because we can't figure it all out. We have to, we need his help. And people thought when they had the Titanic, they didn't need lifeboats. They didn't need lifeboats. They wouldn't say, you know, in the beginning, the, the crew saw that they were lacking lifeboats. They said, such a big boat. Nothing could ever happen to the Titanic. Would we ever think that what's happening right now would have happened in a million years to ourselves? We never would have thought of it. It's to remind us we really have not yet gotten to that level of feeling like but the davening should be. We're supposed to daven as if we really, that our life depends on it, because it really does. But we think we have davening, and let's get to the real work. Let's get to the, you know, now we got to clean up, we got to shop, we have to this, that, and the other. And really, This is what they say before Mashiach. There'll be many reminders, and this is definitely one of them, that there's no one else to depend on. Especially look at the thing with the doctors. No two doctors seem to say the same thing about anything. Some people are saying you have to wear a mask. Some people are saying it's terrible to wear a mask. Some people are saying they're all saying different things because we can't rely on the doctors. Some people say don't take the vaccine. It's going to be a whole conspiracy theory against humanity. And then people are saying, yes, take a vaccine. It's, 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 very, it's very interesting and very confusing purposely in order that people should realize we have no one else. There's no Nevi'im to tell us what to do. We only have Hashem, and we should dive in as if it really meant that, like, like if it's true, that story about the base Aaron of last year's Hashem. Now, the um, – and even when something's good, do we – you know, when things turn out well, we don't turn to Hashem with our thanks. You know, we want to feel like we're doing it ourselves. That was the whole thing of the Levain and why they wanted bricks, man-made, the idea that man can take care of himself. And again, there's some good thoughts from that. It's an idea of not to bother the other. But on the other hand, we're supposed to feel dependent, even when things are good. They say Rav Shmuel Birnbaum said Sal had a heart issue. And the first thing he said when he got his heart issue is, maybe I didn't thank enough Hashem for my heart all these years. And then the heart improved. He actually lived many more years after that. Revel Yeshev at 40 had a life-threatening situation, and he davened Hashem properly, and he lived for 60 more years. So we never know, even when things seem like horrific. We never know what's going to be the next minute, and that's how we're supposed to live our life, not feeling too complacent, but not feeling too afraid. Today's generation, the younger generation, there's a lot of helicopter parenting and micromanaging and all kinds of things that people think they're going to be able to handle things. This is something, the lesson we're supposed to take from the door, haflaga, not to feel like you can micromanage your life. You have to feel that, you know, that you could be, that you you can't be in control of yourself. You try to be in control. You try to do ishtadlis, but really Hashem is ultimately in control. Okay. So again, to, to review, we've established two points. Number one, one thing that um, Noah did wrong is that we said that he didn't. He was complacent. By the way, that's why it said he didn't go into the table until there was the mabul. He felt Shem's going to bring chesed. How can I go into the mabul? There was not going to be a mabul. <laughs> that was a lack of amuna, because amuna means to not feel that uh, it, to feel that I, you know, I have to prepare myself. I have to feel like I don't know what Hashem wants to do. I don't know Hashem. I don't know what he's thinking. I, but at the same time, for sure everything Hashem does is good. When Hashem himself told him there's going to be a mavul, how could he not take that into consideration? How could he think he knows what the ultimate's going to be as far as Hashem is concerned? And that's how he was taken to task. And secondly, the idea of the dor haflaga, what they did wrong, their whole idea of trying to be self-sufficient and feeling you can't rely on Hashem and you're going to micromanage your own life. Now, Let's get to the Dor HaMabel. Why was the Nigzal? We know about the Goizal, the Gazlan. The Gazlan is Chayev. The Gazlan is the cause of the Mabel was that people were stealing or stealing their gender. They're supposed to be women, and they thought they're men, and who knows what they were doing over there. And we don't have to look too far. It's right there in our generation. But what does it mean that the person that is a victim was equally guilty than the thief in the time of the Mabel? So box that's out. He says, you know, there are rules for a thief. A thief has to pay double, sometimes four or five if it's a, if it's a, a sheep or a, um, or a cattle that had to be slaughtered and they had to carry it and all this kind of stuff depending. You pay more, I think, for a, a cow than for a sheep because a cow you didn't have to schlep on your shoulders. Um, so there's four and five with that, and then there's two times for any kind of geneva. What did the victim do wrong? So the Vilnagon says that the victim had to, it's harder to be a nixal than to be a goslin. It's harder to be a victim. A victim has to change his homidos. A goslin has to pay back and do tshuva, and that's it. A victim has to make sure that he really takes the scene that's unfolding before him in, a, in the proper way. Both of them were guilty in not seeing Yad Hashem. The goslin, when a person steals, he doesn't realize that this person has this in their home and I have this in my home. God personally gave them what they have. God personally gave me what I have. When it comes to a victim, if a person is victimized in whatever way, they're also lacking a hashgaffa that, wait a minute, why get angry at the person that, that stole from me? They are just, God stole from me. God made it happen. This person was just a vehicle. We find the ultimate of this is in Yosef HaTzadik, who forgave his brothers for what they did to him for 22 years and said, uh, Don't be sad. This was for your, for your good eventually that you should have man, food when you come to Mitzrayim. This is all, this is all orchestrated by Hashem. That's a whole a mindset that a person has to change when a person's victimized. Now, let's say, God forbid, someone on our street is a victim of a robbery, let's say. God forbid, God forbid. If that person's a victim, we would want to help them in any way we could. We found the robber, let's say. Are we going to be boiling angry at that robber? Most likely not, because we're going to feel he was meant to be stolen from, and this person did a sin, albeit a sin. But you don't take it as personally as when the person victimized me. That's when we get that's when we get all upset. And a lot of times as box, people feel now they have the, um, they have the, the, the permission to do whatever they want, scream, yell, complain, uh, speak and Hara, let's say about a shotgun that didn't give you a shit or speak a about about people in, at large. Why? Because you're the victim, you have entitlements. We live in a society like this. Look at the crazy, where we're epitomizing the Dorhamabul Hamabul and the Dor together. And somebody even said, and Sedom. An Sedom. All three is what we live in. And these are all, I heard, prerequisite to Mashiach. So it says, by Aganav, lo yevosul Aganav ki yignov, lamale nafshu ki rov. You shouldn't humiliate a thief because he's, he's starving for bread and that's why he went to steal. He feels he has to starve for bread, you know. Now with the Ghana, there's also a sense of entitlement. I remember many, many years ago, I had a cleaning lady, a young Polish lady who happened to be a thief herself at the end. She told me she once went into her building where she lived somewhere in uh, Mississauga, and she, um, her neighbor came pounding on her door about six o'clock and said, "Did you see? Did you see anything going on here today?" She says, "No, I wasn't home." She said, somebody um, stole the contents of my entire apartment, there's not one nail left on my wall. This is low income people. And you know, um, what ended up happening was it was, they caught the thief, by the way. What happened was this lady was supposed to move in a few weeks, the lady who was stolen from and some people in the building heard about it. They hired a moving truck, they went to the super and they said, we're the movers for this particular individual. They just came a few weeks early. They hauled out everything the person owned. Can you imagine? Every every picture, every everything in the entire apartment was stolen, uh, you know. And and they caught them. It was there people that um, that I think that worked with her, if I'm not mistaken, people, the coworkers. It was somebody. There was a coworker that had a truck. You imagine to not have any feeling. This person works for a living. This person has a has a life, and, he, and you just think of yourself. Entitlement. It's all entitlement. But the Nigzal can also feel a justified entitlement. The person is victimized, and a Jew is not supposed to feel like a victim, because if you feel like a victim, you're not. You're leaving Hashem out of your picture. You're not including. You're not saying that Hashem is who orchestrated this whole event and he made it happen to me and I'm supposed to I'm supposed to take it. It's supposed to be I love in the enemies person should be always one that it's better to be one um, that's hurt and not be the one that hurts others. You know? And and, and it's it's that's what we're supposed to aspire to as Jews. To be a person to take things and not to feel victimized because this person is just the vehicle for us. It's a story must have heard this very famous story, but it's definitely worth repeating, and it fits in perfectly, so we're using it. Rav Shalom Shwadran, the famous maggid of Yerushalayim. He lived in a building with a chatzair, with a courtyard, and one time he's walking out, and he sees like a small child, maybe a four-year-old, hurt himself very badly, like he's bleeding, and I don't know what else. So he scoops up the child. And he's gonna, He runs with him. He's going to take him to the nearest doctor. So there's this older lady looking out the window, and she says, Rav Shalom, That's a the interpretation, right? Shalom, it's all going to be good. It's going to be good. And as they pass by her window, she notices it's her grandson. (laughs) And all of a sudden, instead of saying it's going to be good, she's saying, my Meryl, my Meryl, my Meryl. She couldn't believe her and never. Because it's me, all of a sudden, we have a different reaction. Who says my me is more important than your me? You know what I mean? They were supposed to care about every Jew, and that's what happens also. When we start getting too personal about our old victimization, then we're not thinking that all Jews are equal. It's only me when we have that scream and yell. And other people, we don't scream and yell. We should care more about others and, and, and call out for them, which we didn't do. And for ourselves, we're supposed to aspire to the fact that God orchestrated this, and I'm supposed to do so, I have, to, of course, you can't just sit there and say, enjoy, you know, but, um, you know, we have to be mindful of a person, we have to try to work it out in our hearts. And, um, of course, people should be brought to justice if, they, if there's an injustice. But at the same time, we can't feel victimized. Now, we said that, uh, I'm almost finished, five more minutes, please, sorry, um, that, you know, that. So what we learned from all these is several things. Number one, we don't understand Hashem. Don't think things are going to be good. Don't think things are going to be bad. We should always know we have to work on ourselves. We have to work on our bittachon. We have to sometimes pump ourselves up. We have to sometimes tell ourselves, "You think things are so easy in life? You never know what can happen tomorrow. You have to, you have to take that." Also, we can't feel settled. We can't try to feel. We're never really settled. We have to, of course, you know, try to make things around us nice so that we can we can feel like we're we're accomplishing things. But at the same time, you know, we have to feel like we're dependent on Hashem first and then settle ourselves second. Number three, we have to remember that we aren't the victim. And we, we also have no chance to feel unworthy, especially when people need us. We have to step up and do something. Now, we should feel always giving in is where really where it's at. Rebitson Shach once said that her, her husband's talmidim came to visit her in the hospital. And she told them, I want you to know, she's talking about marriage, and she says, I want you to know that my husband said to us that when we got married, he said, let's take turns giving in to each other. She says, but my, my laser, he never gave me a chance to give in, because he always gave in. I know Rabbi Orlo Schlita always says to a chasson, when you break the glass at the chuppah, that should be the last time you put your foot down in your house. We have, um, you know, and a person, on the other hand, giving in, but never giving up, never giving up, never falling to complacency. Rabbi Brog, who was a son-in-law of Rabbi Victor Miller, one time when he turned 60, they made a dinner in his honor, and Rabbi Victor Miller said to his, his Adam, he said, Mit Frischkeit, you should accomplish something now. Don't feel like you're getting older. I can just go on cruise control. Now is the time you still have, as long as the clock is ticking, we can still accomplish something. Rabbi Dessler accomplished most of his, his life's work, most of his fame and for his, it is spreading toward his palmedum after the age of 60. We find that Rav Steinman, nobody even knew who he was till he was about 80 or 90 years old. And, you know, we find that Rav Victor Miller did most of his famous, his, his tremendous writing and creativity and speeches after the age of 60 years old. We have to feel, we have to feel for other people. Not just give in, and we have to, we have to do something for other people. Rechaim Shvilevitz says there were three advisors of Paro. There was Bilam Harasha, there was um, Yisro, and then there was also Eov. And uh, Bilam told Paro kill the Jews. Yisro protested, you know, and 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 Bil- and Eov ran away. But who got punished the most? Yisro. Yisro. I mean Eov. The Asurim of Eo, Eo suffered, the Jobs, the suffering of Job. No one suffered as much as Job. Why did Job have to suffer? Cesar crimes Chaim, Shbelevitz, he should have at least screamed out that Jews are going to be punished. I it, mean, you know, they're going to go endure torture. If you don't scream out, what are you? What are you? You have to feel for other people. Just going to end up with it. Um, so that's just, that, that's, I want to, let's put this into proper perspective. Last year, we were complacent to a certain degree. We could not imagine what Hashem would pull on us. And we have to, we have to employ these, these tactics. We have to understand that any minute something could change, good or bad, we have to keep up with our serving Hashem. That's what we're here in the world for. We have to realize we don't understand Hashem. We can't be settled. We have to. We're totally dependent on Him. That we have to, when we daven, we have to have be like rash v'sachanun, and we have to beg Hashem. We don't deserve anything. We're not entitled. We're not like the victims that are entitled, and we're not like the gospel that's entitled. We're not living entitled lives. Everything is totally dependent on Hashem. I just want to talk uh, a story I read. I hope you'll forgive me. I said it to you on Simchas Torah. I saw this beautiful story. Um, given by the Zerashim Shimsham, the book, you know, in English. Um, he speaks about how, you know, to employ things at the right time and how we're supposed to always be thinking of others. And the, the best way to tell that is telling us two amazing stories about a person that just passed away maybe 10 years ago, Harav Diane Fisher, Shlita, who is the Av uh, based in of the Ada Haredes Yerushalayim. Such an efficient human being, such a, constantly doing things, moving to get into Sierra Fisher. There were sign-up sheets. You had to go an hour early and then you signed up and then he won two, three, that all in order because he couldn't waste time from learning that whole order of, um, of people being admitted to, to see him. I in fact once went to him and he was on a respirator, still seeing people amazing. Now the two stories took place that when he was much older, when he was much older, at one point he needed a pacemaker and, um, they were going to put in the pacemaker, but the doctor said, you know, there's a problem. You're so weak. I don't know how we can do it with the anesthetic. I'm afraid you can't withstand the anesthetic. So what did Riff Fisher say? No problem, he said. I'll, um, he said, I'll just, I'll just uh, get into learning, got engrossed in learning in a sugya. And when they give me, and when, I'm re- when you see I'm very engrossed in a sugya, then do the, the procedure of putting installing the pacemaker. And so they did. They saw he was very engrossed. He didn't cry out, nothing. And at the very end, they look like he's very happy. And they say, why are you so happy? And he said, I finished. It's only Shabbat, and I finished my Shabbos, that dress already. That's what Rufish said, such a gibor, a person in old age even that was able to withstand such pain. And all he cares about is, you know, it, when it comes to Torah, he can withstand any kind of pain. But there's another story. When fisher got older, even more, he had to, for a while, they saw he was so weak that he can't see people the same way as before. So he appointed his grandson, who was by him a lot, told his grandson, you know what, you go into the Zeta and go back to be the go-between. You go to the people, get their questions, and quickly, and save a lot of time, you can tell, you can tell the people what were Fisher paskin for them. And the people still assembled. I mean, it's, it's amazing to begin with that even though he's so weak, he still felt his, his purpose in life was to be the shepherd for the people. And he didn't give up on it. He didn't give up, no matter how, how he felt. So the grandson did as he was told. He went, you know, the grandson was familiar. He was like being Mishamish. His grandfather for many years already, so he knew his way of thinking. He could even shorten things, shorten the questions, shorten the answers. He knew he knew what, you know, what the rub was thinking. He didn't have to speak so much. One day, Ruff Fisher was really spent. The grandson had to tell everybody, I'm sorry, I don't think we can see any more. At one point, they couldn't see any more people. They had to tell everyone to leave. The rub's really not feeling well. He said he can't go on. And the, um, everybody left, but there's one person that remained. And the one person said, "Listen, um, my rub has been coming for years for a Fisher. I have a very complicated issue. My rub's not available. Rafish is the only one that always gave an ATSA to my son of you know for, for his medical issues. He had a very special needs child, and they had all kinds of complications and many surgeries and many, everything. And these were naughty problems that they needed a real expert to just, you know, to deal with. So he goes, he says, I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I have no other way. I have no one else to, to speak to. Um, so the grandson went into his grandfather. He said, Zeta, there's one person he told him. And he says, I know who the person is. He says, I can't do it. I just don't have strength to ask in such a complicated thing right now, the way I feel. So he said, I'm going to start thinking, maybe who else can posk in this Shiloh for him? So he's thinking for a moment, and he's so weak. And then he says, you know what? I thought it over. He's been coming to me for years. No one else would grasp the whole problem in its entirety except for myself. Give me a few minutes. So he strengthened himself, and all of a sudden they noticed for Fisher seemed like a different person. All of a sudden he energized himself, and he says, all right, I'm ready. Bring me the question. So he brought him the question, and then he went back to him with, you know, the answer. And then there was more back and forth several times. And the grandson said, "Zeta, you look much better. Why doesn't he just come in? Let him come in right now. Let's bring in the man himself. It'll save this back and forth. We'll get to it sooner." So then Rafisha looks at him incredulous, and he says, "You don't understand." He says. I don't have the strength to see people in such pain. I can't look to see a man going through such life experiences. I can't do it. I can't bring myself to see him face to face. I can't stand to see his suffering. That will for sure do me in. I can't see it. I can't stand. Here's a man that had a pacemaker installed. No problem. I'll have it installed. I'm thinking and learning. When it comes to see the pain of another Jew, he had no strength. He had no strength to bear their pain. So let's learn from that. Let's learn from that how to bear other people's pain, to be tuned in, to be tuned in to remember that we can't slack off because we never can be sure what Hashem is thinking for the next moment. And look what happens. Sometimes different people have different reactions. Some people got very down from this whole pandemic, seeing all the horrible facts, you know, and you can't be complacent and keep escaping and eating bonbons, you know. You can't, on the other hand, you can't say that to dwell in it. We have to continue doing our job. That's the place that we were put. This is the job we were put at. We have to work on ourselves to think more of the Tzibor, to daven with more fervor for the Tzibor, to daven for Mashiach to to daven for the Geulah Shalema, to, 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 to not know what Hashem is bringing and to realize it's for sure for the good, but we can't be so complacent as to not pour out our hearts like the poor person that's so dependent on Hashem, we have nothing else. And we can't be like the nigzel the victim. We can't feel entitled, not as a goslin and not as a, as a nigzel We have to feel, we have to be able to forgive other people and see the good in other people. And, and Mr. Hashem, with that, will bring a shaft to Kenu, like the Dora could have, but didn't. Bim Heir Amen!